Good morning. You just heard the scripture, but we're going to look at it again in Luke chapter 9. Fifty-seven to sixty-two, as we stand together. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Lord, we bow our heads before you symbolizing our hearts bowing before you because we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior today. This is your word. May it speak to our hearts and help us to draw closer to you. Speak Holy Spirit, for we are your servants. We want to hear your message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There were 12 disciples, later called apostles, who left home, family, occupation, and friends. All of these things they left behind to follow Jesus for three and a half years. They depended on charity for food. They often slept on the hard ground. Occasionally they had friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus who would put them up in their house. But a lot of the times they were just whatever they could make do. They were learning from Jesus directly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Only 12 were chosen for this level of commitment. But during the ministry of Jesus, there were many others who at various levels followed him, became disciples or got involved. And some were extremely committed to his mission and message. In just the next chapter, the next verse uh, after the end of chapter 9, we have Jesus sending out 70, or some versions say 72, that were two by two to go out and share the gospel of Jesus. And they come back and would tell their stories and report it. There was a level of commitment there, giving up their time. We also know of women who supported Jesus financially and his disciples as they traveled around. It's kind of an interesting thought process that the women were working to support the men as they uh, did ministry. Still a lot of that going on today. Women supporting men in ministry. Um, and men supporting women in ministry. It doesn't really matter. But in their day, it was some women supporting Jesus. Uh, thousands of people received Jesus' teaching and ministry. Different occasions. At the side of a lake, he'd push out in a boat and teach the multitudes and 5,000 and more followed him clear around the lake, and he taught them there and then fed them. 4,000 on another occasion, just all kinds of situations like that. Then we know at least 120 that were still faithfully committed after the ascension of Jesus, waiting in an upper room 
as God had told them to do until the Holy Spirit came on them and they started the movement today, the Church of Jesus Christ. So within this context of all levels of commitment, Luke records three different men who were given the opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus. This was not at the level of the twelve, but somewhere on one of those other levels that we've been talking about, they were to follow Jesus, give themselves to the work of God, the ministry, and this deeper life in Christ. Each of these three men had something, though, more important that kept him from committing to real discipleship, giving up everything to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There were some things they just would not do. So many today make a profession of faith and follow through with serving God and growing up as a Christian. We're grateful for each and every one. But there are always a few who make excuses and drop out from becoming a true disciple. They get the entry level, but they really don't want to go deeper. That deeper, vital relationship with Jesus Christ that he's calling all of us to have. The surrendered life. The holy life. The Christ-like life. John Wooden, the UCLA basketball coach, said he rarely talked to his team about winning. You know, a lot of the coaches, you... You hear the speech about, let's win, 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 win. Winning is everything. That kind of thing. He said he rarely talked about that, but what he would talk about is giving your all. Because if you've got 12 guys on a basketball team that will go out and give their all, you're going to win a lot of games. If basketball can commit to that kind of a level, Is it any wonder then that Jesus can say a similar thing to us when he says, love the Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Mark 12, 30. And then in Matthew 16, 24, Quoted again this morning, but it's in other passages as well, in the Gospels, I believe. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When confronted with the cost of denying yourself and taking up your cross... These three men didn't want to pay that cost. So we're going to talk about wannabe disciples this morning. There are many wannabe disciples. Many of them follow through and give God their all. Many of them do. But there are some who make excuses and never go deeper than an entry level into a real relationship with God. So today we have an opportunity to examine our hearts and see if we are committed followers or if we have allowed other things to keep us from that deeper walk with Christ. Because I want a real relationship with God, don't you? If you remember back about uh, two months ago, 
I was doing another parable, this is not a parable, but a parable later, I think it's in Luke 14, about Jesus was telling the story about the uh, banquet, and this guy had invited his friends, personal invitation to come, and they began to make an excuse. One wanted to see a new piece of land that he'd purchased. One had some five yoke of oxen he had to go out and work with them to make sure that they were good. And one had just gotten married, and he wanted to spend some time with his wife, so they couldn't come to the banquet. They rejected the invitation. That's a rejection of salvation and eternal life. This story is something, not just a story, a parable, this is something that actually happened to Jesus. Where Jesus is teaching the cost of discipleship. And these three men wanted to follow Jesus, but they did not want to commit to discipleship, the deeper walk. If you and I intend to make following Jesus a priority, there are three excuses we must expose and conquer with God's help. We want to go deeper. We want to go greater. We want to have more spiritual power. Then watch out, because you're going to hear these excuses. The first one is, confront the tyranny of pleasure. The tyranny of pleasure. We need to confront this. It says the first illustration happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, you cannot hide your eternal internal uh, issues from God. Here the man said, I want to follow you wherever you go. I, I, I'm, I'm committed to this. He made a great sounding statement, this first wannabe disciple. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. But we know from the reply of Jesus that this man had a problem. Sounded good, but Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of airs have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here was this man's issue. He didn't want to give up his cushy lifestyle and comforts in order to follow God's complete will. Humans in general have a dictator ruling over us. It's called pleasure. Now, this is not going to be the most popular preaching. I don't expect to be shouted down. But I told Ray to guard the tomatoes. A lot of ammunition out there in the hallway. He said he wouldn't. But most of us have this dictator ruling over us today called pleasure, right? It, it controls a lot of the world. Most people have a philosophy of life. If it feels good, then let's do it. If I like it, let's do it. If it thrills me, let's do it. And too often we don't care what it costs to the other person or the other persons. As long as I have my pleasures, I don't care about anybody else. Now think about this as a real crying need in our community and the communities around this world. How can you have children going hungry? Because the adults have other pleasures that they're more concerned about 
than responsibility of taking care of their children. That's a problem, folks. You can see this pleasure principle almost harmlessly in children because uh, I remember so much. And uh, kids, they grew up, you know, and what do they do? They're in their room playing. Mom, mom, mom comes, and we had troops up the stairs to the kids' room. We had when this incident happened. Can you bring me? Back down the stairs, get the stuff going. So mom's work is less important than their pleasure of their playing or whatever they're doing. I love the commercial. It's not on anymore where the, where the boy is calling on a cell phone to the landline phone and grandma comes over and answers the phone and he's, he's on the video games and can you bring me another Coke from inside the house? Nowadays, they text or FaceTime. Hey, Mom. Anyway, I mean, that's the pleasure thing. I can't stop doing what I love to do for a few moments to get what else I want. That's why we have moms. They're servants. And they're paid well. Thank you, Mom. I love you. Go right back to it. Okay. But it gets more serious when it comes to adults, doesn't it? Most crimes today are committed with the philosophy, I don't care, I want my pleasures, and I don't care who it costs or, or what's going to take place. That's where crimes come in. I want what I want, and I don't care who it hurts and who it bothers, who I'm stealing from, etc. And in between these two extremes is the reality of life called work. Work mostly consists of putting in long hours, working at a task that sometimes even gets boring in order to make enough money to live a comfortable life. Housing, vehicle, food, and clothes, those are the things we consider comfortable life. And when you get home from work, there's always more work to do. So we have the extreme of crime, we have the extreme of little kids, and then we have the normal life where most of us are at, where there's work, and then when you get home, there's other work. And most con people consider life to be boring and routine and out of the ordinary, and so what do we do? We've got to get some pleasures in our life. To counter the boredom, they immerse ourselves in video land where the realities are lost as we absorb the drama, the comedy, the violence of a life out there. Then there's the satisfaction of having 23 people like your post on Facebook. Woohoo! And so we get affirmation and pleasure from the fact that other people care about my life. And they follow me. And they care about what I post. Or there's the accomplishment of conquering another level in that video game. Whew, I'm at level 23. I've really accomplished a lot in my life. And so 
We, we find things to give us pleasure because life as a normal is pretty boring. It's routine, isn't it? Go to work, come home, do other work. Sleep, go to work, come home, do other work. Pleasure. We try to find ways to find pleasure, a little something extra to add in. But does it really satisfy long term? And so humans compromise real life by spending more than they can afford. We buy treasures and pleasures. We become pleasure addicts. It's easier to sleep in. It's easier to eat more. It's easier to be lazy. It is easier to be unhealthy because doing the proper routine is considered boring instead of pleasure. And more, most people expect more out of life after all. You got to keep up with the Joneses or the Kardashians in this day and age. But Christians have a secret, don't we? And this is where the world misses it. There is another way to go through life. The secret is the deeper walk with Christ. Because if you have a real relationship with Christ, we realize that there is joy. There is joy in the daily routine of life. Because it's not about me finding pleasure. It's about Jesus being the priority. And the more I read people like East Stanley Jones and whatever, this is the issue that people grapple with all the time. I want what I want, and I want to feel it, and I want my happiness, and I want this, and I want that. But the thing is, you never get satisfied. The way to get satisfied is to want Jesus. Get into Jesus, and if you make him happy, everything else just works. Because when we seek, celebrate, and serve Jesus every day, each day has a purpose bigger than my selfish pleasure. The purpose for the day is, is Jesus happy? Is Jesus pleased with my life? Am I following and doing his will? What is my purpose today? It is to please Jesus. And if Jesus is happy, then I will have a good day. Amen. Because it's not about the routines of life. It's about the daily walk with Jesus. True disciples live differently than the rest of the world. Jesus said the animals and birds have a place to call home. But if you follow me, you're going to have a different priority. You're going to do without some things so that the kingdom of God will grow. That's not popular preaching or teaching. You want to follow me? I'm not like the foxes or birds. I have nowhere to lay my head, but I'm serving God and I'm on the road telling people about Jesus. That's what he says. So if you wouldn't be telling them about him, he's telling them about his father, but you get the idea. They do without some things. Missionaries and pastors and their families give up many comforts. I think of these missionaries that go to another field and then, and then their children have to go to a wholly different continent or country sometimes to be taught, to go to school, separated from their moms and dads. And they get home on vacations. And I just, I just, what comforts? And we expect that of the missionaries. God bless them. That's good. But don't expect me to do that. 
How many times have we heard that? What about the average Christian? What does God expect them to give up for the kingdom? Jesus said we give all. All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross and follow him daily. We become committed disciples. That means we tithe first and then make do on what's left. That means we go to church first and then we, the rest of the week goes better. It means we, we find time for our devotions so the rest of the day will go better. We put God first in our lives, in every area. And it doesn't make sense, but it works because that's what God has called us to do. Seek me first. We commit to serving God first and find comfort and pleasure in doing God's will. Any perks that we receive in life are God's blessings, the icing on the cake of serving God. I was talking to another pastor this morning, and he was telling me about pastors that he knows in the parsonage yard are motorcycles and boats and God bless him that's great but God called me to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness if he throws in a motorcycle and a boat I don't know what to do with them or a set of golf clubs not that I'm opposed to any of those things. It's just you got to pour it out for the kingdom of God. And if that means setting aside some things in this life, then I'll set them aside because Jesus has got to be number one. Amen. I'm smiling. So don't sell your boat. But use your boat to fish for Jesus. Good point. So we take up our cross, we are committed, and we and we in return we get pleasures. No, we get blessings. <laughs> so examine your heart. Make sure that the tyrant called pleasure is not hurting your deeper walk with God. With less earthly toys and treasures, you will have more trust. You'll build faith. With less focus on your pleasures, you will have more spiritual power. Amen. The deeper your relationship with God, the harder it is for the devil to tempt you back into sin because there's nothing that will take you because you don't care about those things. You care about Jesus and serving him. If they're added in, great. Focus on a deeper friendship with Jesus and you will find a stronger faith during the hard times of life. And somebody's going to walk away and say, Pastor says we can't have any comforts in life. No, that is not something that I say. 
But I'm saying don't let that so drive you that you can't have the things that God has for you. If you don't have time to be in church on Sunday morning because you're driven to do other things, If you don't have the money to tithe because you're driven to pay for other things. If you don't have any time for ministry because you're driven to work harder, to raise more money, to do more things. I'm asking you, what is your priority? Is it all these things? Or is it Jesus first? Because tyrant of pleasure it's a tyrant. It's a king. He gets into your life. The average credit card debt is thousands of dollars. People purchasing what they cannot afford. There are many people today who call themselves Christians that have no time for church. What's wrong with this picture? Pleasure controls them. God wants his disciples to confront the tyranny of pleasure. Oh, here's another one. Control the temptation to procrastinate. He said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. <laughs> preach the kingdom of God. He had a relationship. So Jesus' response seems harsh at first until we understand the Jewish context. Jesus was not referring to a scheduled funeral that the father had died. He would expect the son to honor his father and mother and go back and make sure that his parents buried properly and taken care of. If that was the case... No, the problem was that this wannabe disciple wanted to wait until his father died. The inheritance were settled. He would get his portion. He would make sure that his future was secure. And then he would follow Jesus. I wonder how long it would take for dad to die. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Then I will follow you, Jesus. When I have my life all in order, the ducks all in a row, all quacking and following along, just everything just fine and perfect in my life, then... I will go deeper in the relationship with Jesus. Can't you see those ducks? Yeah. <laughs> so while the excuse sounds legit to us, Jesus recognized it as an excuse for procrastination, and he wasn't going to put up with that, and he just nailed it on down. Let the spiritually dead bury the dead, but you come and follow me because you're spiritually alive, and I want you to be doing something for the kingdom of God beginning today. Now, Americans, we're great procrastinators. Not only are we pleasure seekers, but we're procrastinators. We lose the battle of the bed because we punch the snooze button three times every morning. We lose the battle of the bulge because we plan to start eating less and exercising more next year. I mean, you know, first of the year, you make a new resolution. A lot more people join the gym in, in January than any other time of the year, but they're gone by February. 
We lose the battle of the bad habits because we need that crutch to get us through our current crisis I'm going in. Oh, I've got to have it. I've got to get through this, and then I'll quit. Ever think that the current crisis is caused by your bad habit? Oh, well, I don't know. Could be. How many people say they want a real relationship with God, but keep putting off starting the deeper life of discipleship? They admire the walk others have with God, but they can only talk about it themselves because they keep putting it off day after day, day after day, day after day. Well, one of these weeks, one of these days, when I get older, when everything works out. Oh, they talk a good talk, and I hear it all the time. When I get my bills paid, and when I get my life straightened out, when I have more time, when I get retired, when I get older, then I'll become a real disciple of Jesus Christ. But, Pastor, you're just setting it a little bit too high for us here. When God calls us to jump in, and we're going, yeah, it's wet. Feels good on my toes. And if you hang around the church long enough, you can learn the language and occasionally quote the Bible. But why is it that the power of God has not taken hold of your life and made you the committed Christian God wants for you to become instead of the puny Christian that you are living in the life instead? Barely making it, barely getting by, always fighting off the devil, always hurting because of this, always having... Why? God's got the power of God if you just jump in and let him just take control of your life. Oh, I want that. I want that. When I hear the preacher preach it, I want it. But I just can't do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. Sunday after Sunday, God has challenged you to a deeper walk. You keep putting it off. Maybe next week you bargain. I'll be a real Christian someday, but not right now. So while others come forward at family altar time, you sit back and fold your arms and procrastinate another week. I'll do it another week. Maybe this will be a better week, and then I'll do it, Lord. I'm not talking about becoming a Christian. I'm talking about jumping in. And learning how to swim in the bountiful provisions of God. Wading up to your ankles. But God wants you to plunge into the deep relationship of a real commitment to God's will and God's way. My friends, Jesus is calling you to begin the holy lifestyle, to go deeper, to commit 100%, to give everything all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust you in your presence daily live. I surrender 10%. I surrender 20%. Lord, you can have that much of my life. When Jesus says, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, everything you got to give to me if you're really going to walk this walk and talk the talk of a Christian discipleship. Oh, I, I like coming to church on Sunday. What happened to the whole life being surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? So that when you go to work, people will know there's something different about you. Main thing is you talk to Jesus on the way to work that day. While everybody else is cussing at the traffic, you're praising the Lord. Because you left 10 minutes earlier than everybody else, and so you have that extra time. 
I was in Indianapolis bumper-to-bumper traffic twice this week. Really fun. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd cuss. But you praise the Lord, and, you, and I had a good time. Why not? So you get up early and have a better day, and you get started and get rolling and tell people about Jesus, and they're seeing a different attitude the way you work. And when you get home from work, you just don't flop down and use the remote and say, okay, woman, bring me something to eat. No, you get busy. You do something. Because she's a gift of God. And those kids are your gift. And you care about them. Wow, it's good preaching. It's not even in my notes. And it begins to change your entire life. You look forward to each and every day because it's a day of an opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. And he's teaching you and you're growing and you're sharing. <laughs> Been reading a story about a woman who God just uses and pours through her life and everywhere she goes. She's giving. Car accident. Her husband died. Her son was fatally injured. And a week later, they're in the hospital. She's ministering to another woman who's, my husband's dying of cancer. What am I going to do? She says, well, I'll just stop and pray with you. And have. She says, you don't understand. She said, yes, I just lost my husband a week ago. Ministering to somebody else. Why? The grace and the glory of God just flooding her soul. And so she's just living it day by day, even through that. Oh, that, that's, that, that's not possible. What kind of God do we serve, folks? I know they're super saints. I don't really believe that. God help us. I just believe there's super committed people that God uses as his saints. They commit to a deeper level. Whatever God wants, I will do it. And we taste it a little bit, and we see it a little bit, and we hear about it a little bit, and we read about it. Oh, I'd like to be like that. And God says, okay, step out and do it. Oh, next week, next month. When I get older and have all that time in my hands, when I retire, then I'll pray more. Then I'll call more. Then I'll, then I'll minister more. Just ask the retirees, do you have more time when you retire? Confront the tyranny of pleasure. Control the temptation to procrastinate. Surrender today to God's complete will, and Jesus will give you the joy that you long for. Number three is conquer the trap of the past. If the first two don't get you, this one will. You see, the devil will do anything to keep you from going deep. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid those for farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back. The third wannabe disciple said he would follow Jesus after he'd gone back to visit with his family and friends again. He felt like he needed to say goodbye. Jesus saw this as an excuse to leave the past, live in the past, instead of focusing on the present relationship with Christ. I'm calling you to live for me. 
I want you to move forward. Instead, you just want to, oh, I like the way things used to be, or I hate the way things used to be. Anyway, concentrating on the past. He said, if you want to plow a straight furrow, you have to keep your eyes forward. For when a person looks back, the straight line will become crooked. And everyone notices a crooked focus. Don't you notice? You ever drive by the farmer's field and see a crooked one? Not too often. I don't know who was at this man's house that he wanted to see, but Jesus understood that whoever it was, it was a trip back into the past instead of a forward focus of following Christ. Listen to me for a moment. Discipleship always means saying goodbye. Discipleship always means saying goodbye to some people or to some habits or to some things that will hold you back from that deeper walk with Jesus Christ. Because there's going to be somebody who says to you, you don't really have to go in all, oh, that pastor, he's just, he's just a little crazy. He's just a little weirdo. You really don't have to go all that in. But you talk to those that have, and you realize that once you step in, and, and you'll never want to go back, folks. And in order for you to get there, you have to say goodbye to some of those people and some of those things and some of those habits and some of those issues. You have to say goodbye to the past. You have to bury the past. There's some problems back there. You need to let them go. You're going to go forward with Jesus. Instead, this is pulling you backwards. And God is calling you forward. Some people that never go deep in the love, never go deep in the ministry, never go deep in a relationship because they're being pulled backward by something that happened or somebody or something or some issue or some habit. We make excuses and never commit wholeheartedly. Scared of what they might have to give up. If we're half interested in discipleship, then there will be a half quality in our ministry efforts. If you're half interested in following Jesus, then there's going to be half quality in what you're producing for Jesus. Jesus needs our full cooperation if we're going to attack the enemy, if we're going to grow the kingdom of God. All of us have things in our past we would like to forget. There are hurts. There are habits. There are failures. There are foes who can and will hinder forward progress and a deeper relationship with Christ. I know from personal experience there was a past hurt that kept me from a present focus in ministry literally for months. I'd get up at night and pace the floor. I wasn't thinking about my present ministry. I was thinking about the past ministry and how I got hurt. Just over and over and over. I should have did this. I should have done that. I should have. <laughs> and they did me wrong. And they did me wrong. It hurts, folks. Hey, why don't you play another? Somebody done some 
Buddy Wrong song. Let be let home. Where'd that come from? From the past. And you know, night after night, I'm sitting there playing my record. Somebody done me wrong, done me wrong, done me wrong, done me wrong. <sighs> Sleepless nights, pacing the floor. You, I developed pace on the floor. <laughs> and I've always done that. It used to be they had corded phones, though. You can only go so far. Ah, and all of that didn't help any matters. And repeatedly I would pray about it. I knew that's the spiritual thing to do, surrendering the people, surrendering the problems of the past to God. I think it'd be gone and it'd come back again. The devil knows which button to push, you know. It's the past, it's the past, it's the past. But if I keep you stuck in the past, I won't, you won't minister in the present. And he kept working on me. And I kept praying about it. And I'd forgive. Try to forget. Forget doesn't work as well as forgiving. Kept praying. Give it to the Lord. And finally, I got over it. It took a while. I can tell you from time to time it still pops up, but... That's past. It's a trap. And when the healing comes, right? Anybody here not been hurt? Anybody here not have a past, a foe, something that happened in your life? A grief? But if that's keeping us back there instead of moving forward, folks, in the cause of Christ, we have a problem. Surrender it. Surrender it. Surrender it as many times as it takes until healing comes. God is the great healer. With his stripes we are healed. So we can go forward into something new for him. Because the trap of Satan, he will use the past as a trap to keep us from doing something today for the cause of Christ, to have a real relationship with him. Have you ever seen an animal caught in a trap? They pace the floor if it's a cage kind if it's another kind where it grabs them, they gnaw their legs off or whatever. I've seen all kind of things. You've, you've seen more than I have probably. The things that you'll do, but you're trapped and you're unhappy and they chew on the bars and they do, you know, it's just nothing seems to work. And it hurts, yes. But Jesus wants to set you free. If you're in a trap... That's the way you are spiritually if you allow the past to consume your interest and your energy and your ministry and moving forward in life. God is calling you to a different focus. 
He's calling you not to the past. He's calling you to the present. What can I do today to serve God? What can I do today to grow deeper in a relationship with him? What can I give up today that will allow me to move forward? What can I let go of? Isn't it Jesus or Paul who wrote about letting go of the things that will entangle and run the race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Conquer the trap of the past or the trap will gnaw at you and destroy you and your desire for a real relationship with God. And the devil keeps saying, oh, you can't do it because you have that. You can't do it because you have that. There's so many people today that are this close to being all that God would have them to be except for something in their past that's just holding them back like a long chain on a trap. And they get so far and, oh, no, I can't do it. Can't do it. What you're telling us is that your problem is bigger than your God. Your past is more powerful than Jesus. Because whom the Son makes free is free indeed. And He wants to set you free. Why are you so crazy, Pastor? Because Jesus set me free. I've told you a little bit about myself. I've been there. And I got rid of the t-shirt. Because I'm going forward. Amen. I want to go forward with Jesus. And I'm telling you, Jesus has the same thing for you. I believe it with all my heart. Stop procrastinating. Stop worrying about your pleasures. Stop worrying about the past. And jump in. Allow it to overflow in your heart and life. And I know there are many Christians who jump deep into a real relationship with Jesus. You're as crazy as I am. They're growing deeper in discipleship. They're doing whatever it takes to seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. But there's some Christians that the devil has caught up into making excuses, and they never really have committed wholeheartedly to this deeper relationship. They're scared of what they might have to give up, or they plan to start when things in life get better, or they have something in their past that keeps them from committing 100%. They're living with a problem of a divided loyalty. James talks about it, the divided heart. I want to serve God, but I got this thing. I want to serve God, but I'll do it later. I want to serve God, but I want this pleasure first. And Jesus is not hiding a fact here at all. That there's a price to pay when you follow Jesus. Deny and take up your cross. There's a price to pay. I want all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Taking up a cross of Christ means you need to deal with problems. And the biggest problem you deal with is divided loyalty. Serve God and then serve something else. Whether that's a pleasure or putting it off or the past. God will conquer your divided loyalty as you learn to surrender your pleasures, your procrastination, your your past to God, if you will surrender it, if you will name it and lay it out there on this altar, God will heal it. He didn't go to the cross for nothing. He didn't go there for half salvation. 
He went there to take care of all of it. All of it. He wants to heal you from all of it, folks. Don't let the devil get you tied down. He wants to heal you from all of it. Praise the Lord. That's why there's a call to this deeper commitment. It's the challenge of holiness. Holiness is surrender. I'm saved. What's next? Surrender. Well, I, I came and prayed and asked Jesus to take my sins away. What's next? Surrender. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Give him 100%. Give him everything. I surrender all. I want all of it to Jesus. Whatever it is. Uh, I'll, I'll give him my wife. I'll give him my children. I'll give him my job. I'll give him the folks at work, the church folks. I will give him all of it to him. And when the problem comes up, what do I do? I surrender it to Jesus. I surrender it. There's something I didn't want to do this week, but I did it with Jesus' help. I surrendered and did it. It's the surrendered life. It's the holy life. It's the consecrated life. Because I am no longer in control, Jesus is in control. And when you surrender, the power comes for that life of holiness, that deeper commitment. Are you ready to take the plunge into the spiritual depths? Jump in. Go in over your head. Give it all to God. Because God has it all to give to you. As we're coming to sing this morning... I know without a doubt somebody needed this message today. I know without a doubt somebody needed this. Seemed like a pretty simple message to me, but the enemy began to fight me. Somebody needed this. So while we're praying and while we're singing, and we're opening up the altar for family altar time, come and pray about whatever, but someone here needs to jump in. Someone needs to pledge 100% to Jesus. You've given 60 or 70%, but you're holding on. And I don't know what it is and how long you're going to wait, but it's holding you back from everything that God wants to do in your life, and he wants to heal today. He wants to heal that thing. He wants to get rid of that out of your life. He wants to help you with that person. He wants to help you. God wants to help you. He loves you. You're never going to find a person that loves you more than Jesus. And whatever it is, he can handle it. Whatever it is, he can handle it. He can handle it. But you've got to give it to him. You've got to make him Lord. We're calling out to you, Lord, today as an act of surrender to you. We realize that most of us have already surrendered. But Lord, we're praying on behalf of those who are still struggling. The devil that oh, got us all confused into thinking we can't be 100% for God because of something else in our lives. 
And Lord, we just need to release it. Because you're the loving, sweet, kind Father. You're a wonderful Savior, Jesus. Who died for us, that we can have healing. <laughs> that all can be healed. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> Lord, you're offering rest today. You're offering, Lord, peace today. You're offering joy today. Why would we want to walk out of here with bitterness and anger and hurt and carrying our problems another week? So, Lord, we pray for freedom. We pray, oh God, today for release. We pray, oh God, today for letting go. We're praying, oh God, that people will just say, I'm through, I'm sick, I'm tired, I want to quit. I want to go with Jesus. I want to give him 100%. So, Lord, will you do that today? Would you take whatever it is and remove it from our lives and help us to plunge in and just jump in 100% and allow God just to bathe us with his grace and love and mercy and joy. And the peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, God, that's what you offer to us as Christians today. Lord, we just need to go a little deeper. Deeper, deeper. Deeper. In the love of Jesus. So while we're praying today for family and friends that need your touch, we're praying today, Lord, for the sick. We're praying, Lord, for the, the addicted. We're praying, Lord, for walls to come down. We're praying, Lord, for chains to be broken. We're praying, oh God, for the mighty movement of God in across our community and in our land. We're praying, oh God, largely, we're asking you, Lord, to save leaders. We're asking you to save sinners. We're asking you, Lord, to save the addicts. We're asking you, Lord, to change lives. We're asking, Lord, to love and let love flow and let holiness reign. And may we be more and more surrendered and more like Jesus every day. Call us, Lord, to the deeper walk. It's the upward call of Christ who's calling us out of bondage to be free calling us out of our past to live in the present, calling us away, Lord, from our putting off what we need to do in order to do it today. Lord, we pray that you will just enliven us with the love of Jesus and fill us so much with you that people will say, what on earth happened? Lord, fill us up with you so people can see the Shekinah glory of God in our faces and in our lives. Lord, they just can emanate God out of us. And we just pray that you would fill us, Lord, and you would speak to us so that our home will be different, so our work will be different, so our churches will be different, so our community will be transformed a person at a time. Do this, we pray. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, and we're believing in you. And Lord, the saints are raising this prayer. Lord, do the work that you want us to do and begin it within us today. Begin it in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Begin it in me, Lord Jesus. Something new, something fresh, something that'll change me and change the world. You're a world-changing God. You're a world-changing God, one person at a time. Love you, Lord. Help us in our praise time and our worship time for the remainder of this service. Be with these burdens that are being lifted to you from our congregation today. Answer prayer in Jesus' name.
And we thank you. Amen. Amen. Let me see.